This is AV Week, episode number 16, recorded November 18th, 2011. Squirrel! Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of news and information for the AV industry. I'm your host, Tim Albright. With us this week is Adrian Boyd, the president, uh, chief dishwasher, and everything else for Vector Sketch. How are you doing, Ari- hey, Mr. Adrian? I'm, thank- I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Uh, Craig McCormick is over in Beantown. He is with the Commercial um, Integrator Magazine. Hello, Craig. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Good. And I am pleased to introduce a man, a myth, a legend in the AV industry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Kay. Yay! Totally excited to be here. I'm excited to have you, dude. I, I, I will say this: when 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 you you and I have a lot of the similar backgrounds because you were you were, you have a mass comm degree, you you've worked with a lot of different company companies, but your main thing is you are you know kind of the uh, the um, you know, online publishing um, hub for for AV stuff. So you've got video, you've got you know your your the blogs. You have, as a matter of fact, I think I've had almost every single one of your blog squatters on, but one or two people. Well, thank you. I appreciate I think, that. I know they enjoyed it. <laughs> well, they're Maybe. good people too. I mean, stuff you know, people like George and and uh, Johnny Moda and and Don and. I don't want to leave anybody else out, so I'm going to stop mentioning them. And so. I have to say, Johnny Moda's double awesome. He is, he is double. <laughs> he, you know, he is double 10K awesome. That whole. Right. You know, I don't know how you. I don't even think I have a thousand tweets, let alone twenty thousand. So. Yeah, yeah, it's dedicated time. It, it is definitely. Uh, we are recording this uh, on the 18th of February. One week from today is Black Friday. Uh, we will uh, take a look at, at some of the stuff. This comes from us from uh, CNN Money. Walmart has already released their Black Friday, Friday circular. Uh, they're opening up, I believe, at 10 p.m. on Thursday. So Thanksgiving evening, they're opening up at 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Adrian. What, what does this mean for not only, you know, obviously for not pro guys, but for, for the, uh, the resi guys? You've got a, a day here that is dedicated to cheap electronics. Yes? You know, whenever you see, you know, these Black Friday, you know, specials and deals, I mean, you, you just think in your mind, oh, my gosh, the craziness that ensues. I mean, they just had a report of a lady lining up at a Best Buy, you know, nine days before it's even started. So, you know, yeah, it's cheap electronics to get people through the doors. You, you watch the insanity ensue. And and you know it, you it just further confirms that margins in AV are just getting smaller and smaller. So, you know, it, you know, you just kind of look at it and go, okay, it, I, I'm not going to wait in line to to get a good deal on a TV. You know, you, you know, save me a hundred bucks or something. You know, I'll I'll sit back and, and watch the chaos ensue. Uh, so you know, it is what it is. Gary, is this something that commercial guys should worry about? I mean, you got you know, hundred dollar. 50-inch plasmas, maybe. I hope. Well, first, first, uh, I'd like to uh, invite all of the 
Occupy Wall Streeters to camp out for me so that I don't have to actually be at the door of Best Buy because, uh, you know, hey, since they got kicked out of the park, it'd be nice and convenient <coughs> if they'd be willing to do that. But uh, but in any case, um, actually, no, I think it's good for for commercial. I, I think that the, the what's happened right now in the industry, if you take a look at where we were 10 or even uh, 15 years ago versus now, is that we've turned from a trickle-down industry to a trickle-up. So the stuff that happens in the home eventually comes to the commercial side as opposed to the other way around where it used to be the commercial side sort of launched things and it trickled down to the home. So as people see and, and are capable of doing things in their home and they want to do them on the commercial side, uh, you know, whether it be simplicity or ease of access or, um, or the technology itself, it, it sort of is good because I think ultimately these people ask for us to do the same thing in the commercial side. So it drives both technology and it also drives interest in the, sort of the higher end version of those products. So it drives the market almost. Yeah, I mean, there's no question in it. I mean, a Best Buy is good for the market. You don't want them to go away because you need all this consumer technology easy to, to have access to um, so that so that more, it gets in more people's hands. I mean, the best thing that's happened to our industry, for example, is the Apple Store because that stuff has trickled up to many different levels of our industry. Everything from control systems to signal routing and distribution simplicity. And it's and it's when somebody does it on a small scale, they're eventually going to want it on a big scale. Yeah. So, so Craig, should should all the the commercial guys go out and camp out at three o'clock in the morning, or not even three o'clock? You know, Walmart opens at ten on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I can't speak for what they're going to do, but I can tell you I won't be there. <laughs> I'm one of those guys who, who shops towards the uh, towards the end of December, right, right before uh, right before Christmas. So, so you're um, that I guy. I I guess I am that guy. Um, for the panic um, on the 24th. Uh, not, not quite the 24th, but but maybe the 23rd. So, my um, dad used to do that every year. He would he would go in and shop for my mom's Christmas present on the 24th. It was like a tradition for him. I don't know if it started by accident or not, but that is what he used to do. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see where this is, is good for the industry. It, it generates interest, like like Gary was saying. But I, I, it's just never been anything I've I've been all that interested in camping out, and I I really don't understand why they need to do it on Thanksgiving. I mean, Black Black Fridays, you know, it, it's it's fine with me. I I live a, uh, less than five miles from. A big, uh, big shopping center, and and I went once, and it took me an hour to get four miles to uh, to the shopping center. So, yeah, so that um, not not my sort of thing, but I I can certainly understand why why people get into it, and it, it definitely is good to get, get people talking. So. One of the one of the hot, I guess, at least most promoted Christmas presents of the year is the Kindle Fire. And Dan Rayburn in AV Technology wrote a piece that says, basically, the Kindle Fire will be to video what the iPod was to music. And he goes on to, yeah, he goes on to say, you know, the Amazon has 12,000 movies and TV shows and they've got the books and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know Dan. It's a fine written piece. I just think he might be a little bit overreaching here and and here's the reason why the ipod was not a great piece of the ipod was a great piece of technology let's let's start with that at least that's my opinion 
but what made it what what made it revolutionary was not the fact of the iPod because there had been other MP3 players. What made it revolutionary for the music industry was the fact that Steve Jobs had the ability to corral all the music industry and say, "Hey, you know what? They're ripping you off blind. You might as well come to my store anyway." So unless Amazon has that same hotspot, I, I I don't know that it's the same thing. I think what probably a little bit more in equal and more apt. Um, comparison would say, you know, if, if Apple can corral the movie industry the way they did the music industry, I would say the iPad is more of an equivalent to the iPod than than the Fire. Gary, what do you what do you think about the Fire? Um, I, I think it's very well positioned to be a very strong product. It's the it'll be the first uh, tablet type device that will compete with the iPad. <laughs> However. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to fulfill a different segment of the market. There are people that don't, for example, like the size of the iPad. Well, now they have a choice because everything else they had a choice for before sucked. Um, and then uh, there are people that want even even simpler version of an iPad. And uh, and this is an option for them. There are people who primarily wanted an iPad as an alternative to the black and white grayscale e-reader. And this is a good opportunity for them to get into that because it's color and, and they want something that does some of what the iPad does but not doesn't need all the c- complex functionality. So I, I think it'll be a great number two, um, but it's definitely not going to overtake, definitely going to overtake the iPad. Um, and it's definitely not going to be what the iPod was to music. I, I agree with what you said about that. There's something else that should be mentioned is that iPod, what the iPod did, like you said, wasn't the hardware. It was the user interface mm-hmm. was really the key. So they could have even done, they could have even done what they did and been successful, even if they didn't have access to the content originally. The the way that it was compiled and used, people don't may not remember back when Napster was around and how difficult that was to compile music in comfortably and all different forms of music and keep it running all the time because there was always a moving target. Whereas the the iTunes. Uh, user interface was awesome. The iPad is the same way. The user interface is awesome, and uh, Amazon took the best functionality of it, copied it, which is what they should have done, and uh, and created. A, they took Google's open standard and closed it, like Apple does with the iPod and with the iPad. So they took an open standard, closed it, made it simpler by closing it and not allowing everybody and their brother to build apps on it, except the ones they want, and they they're going to have a successful product because of it. Do you think that will hurt them though? The, the, Amazon? Well, yeah. Do you think that that will hurt? Because one of the things that that I'm looking at this because it, it, yeah, it's it is based on 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 Android, and one of right. the cool things about Android, especially when you're talking about iPad comparisons, is one of the coolest apps for me and for AV industry guys are the AMX and the Crestron, and eventually when when Extron releases theirs, their their control apps. So if you've got a device that's three hundred dollars cheaper, I mean that that's significant right there. If I can throw an AMX app or an Xtron control app on there, I'm sold. Okay, but see, see, here's the difference. Uh, um, first of all, I don't think they really care about our segment of the market, so well, therefore yeah. the iPod <laughs> will dominate that, um, the, the iPad, because the iPad already has those apps. But because what they did was they took, an, again, they took an open standard, closed it, and took control of it, which is, you know, which is they basically turned what was open and made it more like Apple's done where they have a closed architecture and they have to approve every app. What one nice thing you can do is for example, Crestron and AMX could optimize a user interface using the browser. 
Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, and because that's a closed system with a very controlled browser environment, if, if, for example, Amazon doesn't want an app to be built for them because they may not care about our industry, they could build a, a browser, an Amazon Fire optimized browser uh, based control interface, and as long as it's connected to the network, then you've got a winner. So I, I don't think you're going to not see apps. Uh, I think you might just see a different version of the app for a different type of usability of the app. Because once every once the network is omnipresent and everywhere, it doesn't really matter if you're connected or not because you'll just be there. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I mean the big thing that the, that you know the Kindle Fire is trying to leverage is is the cloud. I mean it only has eight gigabytes of internal storage. That gets sucked up pretty fast if you have a lot of content. So they're hoping that you're going to use their cloud storage system to put all of your content on it. And but of course that only works if you've got Wi-Fi access. So you know, sitting on the airplane, you want to watch a movie, and oh gee, I don't have it downloaded. You're out of luck when you compare it to, you know, an iPad. You know, your entry level is 16 gigabytes. You know, you have a lot of storage. You can fill up a lot of things. Um, you know, th- there's some cool things about what. You know, Amazon's doing with their Kindle products. I mean, their their lending library, if you can think of it, you know, is kind of a cool, you know, thought. You know, if you read a lot of books, you don't want to buy books, you can, you know, kind of rent them out. They're really trying to leverage that whole Amazon Prime uh, um, subscription plan that they have mm-hmm. with, you know, free content and books and so on. So it's going to fit a lot of people that don't want to live in the Apple ecosystem. I mean, because when you think of Apple, it really is an ecosystem. But uh, well, and so is Amazon, know, though. I mean, that's the, it, it's the Kindle true. ecosystem is is an ecosystem itself. But what's what's interesting is you know you can buy a Kindle book, but I've got an app and an iPad to make to read Kindle books. I can download music from you know the Amazon uh, music library, and it's an MP3 format, so it's going to work regardless. Um, the only where place it really gets kind of sketchy is when you get into movie content because of what they're doing with purchasing movies and streaming content is way different than what Apple does. So those are really the, you know, the two big things that aren't going to talk to each other very well is, is movies. Well, and see, you know? that's, where, that, that's where I think that this guy might have a point because if you, you take the fire part out and you just look at the Kindle ecosystem and let's talk about content in general, you've got to, if, if they can develop and get the, let's say that the, the movie and, and the video industry, let's just blanket it, TV and, and movies both, if they can get them to, to sign on to this, then they have a revolutionary. Not because of the fire, but because of their store. I, you, you, and, and I could be wrong on this because I haven't read all of the different accessories you can, you can buy with, with fire. But I can take an iPad and I can, I can buy a 20 or $30 little device and I can show it on anything that, that has an HDMI, HDMI connection. Content protected or not, I can't do that. I believe with with the fire. But if if they can work out a, a deal with their content creators, then they have something revolutionary. Then they've got something that it doesn't matter if you have an iPad or or a fire, you can play their content. Then Amazon has something golden. I think. Yeah. Well, what you're gonna what you're gonna see the re, here's when Hollywood Hollywood's gonna accept all this when it's only being played from the cloud. That's the thing. Yeah. But what, I mean, we would all like to believe that they're going to let us download content and play it on an airplane. But when Hollywood's going to sign off on all this is when it's only content on the cloud. That's the way they want it. They either want you to buy a hard copy of it on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, or it's on the cloud. So really, Amazon and is sort of a step ahead in that standpoint because it's only on the cloud. 
but of course the iPad is that way too with iTunes. I mean, that's how you stream stuff. Of course you can rent it. And that's the part of it that Apple, that uh, Hollywood doesn't like the fact that Apple has the renting capability. They don't want that. They'd rather you have to rent it in real time because, because Hollywood would rather that be that way because they like the control aspect of it because they can cut you off anytime you want. Whereas with Apple, they can't. That's why the, the ability to buy, te- you know, the ability to, to stream uh, television shows uh, disappeared the way it did. So what you're going to see is uh, more and more movement towards the cloud. Eventually, you'll have hard drives that you know are vir- you don't have very big hard drives on anything because or or drive storage space on anything because the cloud will just always be there. Um, so I, I think that they'll succeed because there are some consumer applications and really good point on Adrian's side is that there are people that just don't like Apple. There are those obsessive Microsoft people yes. or that Apple haters that will buy it just because they just want to be able to say they don't have anything Apple say they'd rather <laughs> struggle their life along without it. So. And, and what's yeah. really interesting, when we talk about you know content, I mean, that's what Ultraviolet is essentially is supposed to be, this cloud-based system where you can download any device you want, have multiple accounts, and you do streaming, and you have a disk, and you've got the download of it. And, and, you know, if you look at the last, you know, top 10 titles that have come out in the last six weeks, they have that ultraviolet component to them. And if Kindle is able to leverage part of that, then they're really going to have something, you know, to work with. Because, you know, Apple's not even looking at that, you know, world right now. No, no, they're not. All right. Uh, From Commercial Integrator, uh, the... uh, person that's on from uh, Commercial Integrator wrote a piece called Will Roscoe's Shift to Consulting Pay Off? And basically Craig goes on to say uh, they, they are getting out of the the box sale business. I think it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we have to have a press release from them to, to kind of figure that part out. I mean, everything must go means everything must go. <coughs> Goodness. Uh, but basically uh, he goes on to ask a question, which I'll start with you, Craig, and ask. Is this going to work? Is this going to save Roscoe, and is is this going to save other companies that are primarily box sales to get out of, get out of the box sale business and more into the consulting? Personally, I don't I don't believe so. I I I think in in this particular case, I think it sounds like the company may be too far gone to to save itself. It it may work in in other cases, but I think in this particular case with with Roscoe, it, it may be that you know that. This may be just kind of a, a face-saving sort of you know, um, move that, that they're uh, you know they're they're trying to stay afloat as long as they can and and I, I just I, I just can't see how how they can survive you know making that big of a, a shift in their their business after after this long and especially losing about three quarters of their employees or let, letting go of about three quarters of their employees at, at the same time I just I'm, I mean it, your name can only carry you for so long and. and you know that they have a, a decent customer base, I, I suppose, and you know they'll they'll continue to have some some loyalty from those. But when their customers realize they they don't do most of the things they used to do for them, they're probably going to lose those customers as well. Well, let me ask you this: I mean, yeah, they 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 basically they have a they have thirty people left out of out of one hundred and thirty. Right. But are are they are they just you know you don't think that that. Just because they're not selling the product, because they, they, these guys were were end to end, you know, suppliers. They they would come in, they would design the system, and then they would sell you the product. Well, just because they're not doing one aspect of it now, do you, you don't think that that would save them? I, I because I guess, there's no margins. I mean, all of us. I mean, Gary's been writing for years about how all the product has been shrink, margins have been shrinking. We've talked on this show for for months about how the margins have been shrinking. That's one aspect. So they get rid of that part. 
Yeah, I, I, I can see your, your point. Um, I just I, I just think maybe things are a little bit worse than they're actually letting on, and that's why they're being sort of secretive about exactly what they're they're doing. I, I, I've seen it described a couple of different ways um, as far as kind of the, what their approach to business is going to be and kind of what, what the standing is and how many employees are left and that sort of thing. So I, I, I just, in, in this particular case, I just don't know how, how they're going to be able to you know, stay afloat for, for too long. I mean, maybe for a while it'll be successful, but I think after a while, you know, um, pe- people seem to be looking for more end-to-end sort of solutions and have, you know, some somebody that can, can do it all from, from beginning to end. And, and I, I think Ross Corp is, is not able to do that anymore. Well, and then that's true. Adrian, what do you think? Do you think this will save them or, or can this save other companies, maybe not Ross Corp, but somebody who, who is who is floundering in in the business, uh, who's a box sale company, could they go into the consulting company? Or consulting I, I, I think it kind of depends on where you are in, in the market you're trying to hit. I mean, already, I mean, as a, as, as a quasi consulting firm, you know, myself, you know, it's tough, you know, especially when you look at, at when you talk to architects and you look at uh, the AIA's current numbers, you know, for the last three to four months, you know, um, billing has been pretty flat in the architectural field. And, uh, you know, when, you know, a lot of your work is kind of derived by partnering of architects and being the first one in. If they're not doing work, you're not doing work. Yeah. When we have a lot of consultants in the industry that are looking at ways to maximize their operation, some have scaled back, some are, are kind of the status quo, you know, some are doing very, very well. But as a whole, I don't think they're going to make it shifting, you know, as a, you know, as a design build firm into a strictly consulting firm, you know, uh, if they do, they may only have five people. They're not going to have thirty people because it's just, you know, companies are starting to to to. You know, I wouldn't say implode, but they're definitely getting smaller. That being said, I mean, there's still a lot of um, companies out there looking for skilled AV design engineers. You know, someone people who can work in CAD, who can do project management. You know, who can design systems from top to bottom. So, you know, the skills for individuals are, are being actively sought. But you know, as our industry has kind of changed in these in this in these last few years, you know, I don't think how they're going at it. They're really going to last. I mean, if they do, all the best to them. But you know, from what we're reading, I don't think it's going to happen for them. Gary, you followed this probably as close as anybody else did, closer than I did, because I, I just got uh, stories here and there from from a couple. Well, from from George and, and from um, Michael Drainer, my, my integrator buddy who know people inside Roscore, do you think them moving to a consulting-based company, first of all, is going to happen? Do you think that this is going to help them or hurt them? Um, well, here, here's the thing. Um, the, the consulting side of the industry is marginalized, a hell of a lot more healthier and profitable than the integrator side of the business, with the exception of a few companies that specialize in super high-end integration. So if you take a look at the margin dollars, the money's there. It, and the question of whether or not they'll succeed is totally dependent on if they have good design. I mean, they do have a brand. Um, and uh, so they have the ability to leverage the brand, and they can, they can go to their current installed client base and say, you know, we have been doing integration for years and years and years, and you don't need us because you can get this stuff online. But what you do need us for is for designing systems because you can buy this stuff anywhere, but you can't buy that intellectual property, a customized design. So yeah. if they can if they can explain that and they do have good designers, they, they can be as successful as any 
as any uh, design consulting firm does, is and has been because, it's, like I said, it's the most profitable segment part of the segment of the market that we are in right now, more profitable than the manufacturers. Well, and there is the other thing. you you The margins on that are what you make it. I mean, it's not like you yeah. have, you know, uh, uh, AMX or, or Kramer saying, you know, this is how much you need to sell it for. Or you can have it. You can go buy it at Best Buy. Your your margins are what you want them to be, and, and what the market will bear. Well, yeah, and you put in products that don't have list prices, or put in products that that um, are you know you're customizing an install for you're customizing a design for whatever the right application is. And there's a lot to be said for doing that, being brand, um, not being brand specific. Meaning, what design firms are supposed to do, not all of them do it, but what they're supposed to do is say. You know, here's product A, product B, product C, and you can substitute product A for this, product B for this, product C for this. And uh, and the substitute, you know, as long as it's equal, they can substitute it. But dealers that do design consulting as well as sell the, the products obviously spec their own gear. They're not going to spec a brand they can't get a hold of. So if they're not a buy-amp dealer, they're not going to spec a buy-amp in. But in the case of Roscoe now, they're not product dependent, so they can spec anything they want, just like a traditional design firm. So if they turn themselves into a traditional design firm, if that's in fact what they decide they want to do and they do it, then more power to them. We'll help them, we'll help them get their name out there. We'll help promote them and, and do whatever we can. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that the industry's value is in the intellectual property, not the gear necessarily. Yeah. Uh, from avinteractive.co.uk, I like reading people outside the U.S. because it gives me a different perspective. They uh, they 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 chronicle this uh, DOOH uh, installation that a company did for Green Giant. And if you're not familiar with what Green Giant is, you know you're either older or younger than I am. Uh, but Green Giant is is kind of the spokesman uh, for uh, you know for a, a, a vegetable company. You know they they make um, you know freeze. Uh, frozen vegetables and, and stuff, and actually they think they did canned ones as well. But th- this was an installation where uh, it, it's kind of an augmented reality deal where uh, people could go up, they'd walk up to this this screen, and they'd step on this on this spot, and the green giant would would appear to them, not next to them obviously, but but on this big screen. And then you, the the whole idea was that you had to give the green giant, who's you know he's a giant for crying out loud, so he's taller than you. Uh, but you had to give him five. You know, he had to you know slap his hand. And if you did so, then you know some some fireworks went off. Uh, what I think is interesting, oh, one thing that this is also outside of the food court at a mall, which is you know ironic. But um, the 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 whole idea here, though, and, and the thing that I think is cool is the interactivity of of digital signage. And, and Gary, you're a big you're a big cheerleader for digital signage because, and I, and I agree with you because the you know, that's an aspect that the AV integrators haven't, I don't think, still have grasped a hold of or taken you know the bull by the horns as it were, and really really worked it and really really done it well. And here's an installation where you know what here's something that an AV company could do over and above and better than an IT company. And IT guys are the ones who's eating our lunch. Yeah, I mean it's really sort of a two-part question, right? I mean, this particular install or this application has been done a lot in malls to, to demonstrate augmented reality and how you can see yourself with characters that you may like or think are cool uh, on a screen, even though they're not there in real life. And it's a neat, it's a neat way to uh, introduce augmented reality to people who don't have iPhones or, 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 uh, or don't have applications on their phones that use augmented reality. But 
the bigger question I think you were asking was digital signage. I mean, it drives me nuts that the AV industry has um, not taken advantage of the, the growth of the digital signage. I mean, by far growing faster than any other segment of the AV market. And, um, and you're right, the IT companies are eating their lunch. Craig, do you uh, do you think this is something that that I, AV guys can do? In, in, in is is a not a niche, but yeah, a niche, a niche that that we can do that that IT guys can't. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I, I think it's it's definitely something that, that the AV guys would, would definitely have more more expertise in and, and be able to, to handle a little bit a little bit better, and they definitely should be. I mean, you know, the more people you can expose to different technologies and, and different uh, different ideas and uh, the better certainly and uh, this is definitely one way to you know expose kids to digital signage even though they may not know that it's digital signage i'm sure you know they'll they'll remember it and and you know kind of think about it and be looking for it in other places and that just opens up more opportunities for for people to uh to do similar installations in, in other other places so adrian we we use delicious for for our links and, and on the little tag i put um, I, I think I wrote down something to the effect of a holodeck. Is this is this my introduction to a holodeck? Well, probably, but I first have to say, ho, 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 green Thank giant. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate but that. It, it, what's kind of neat is, is this was like a limited time um, advertising like three days. segment. Yeah, so you they, they played it up. You know, you had to get your kids there to, to interact with this. So, you know... Sticking in a food court, I mean, I'm sure that the mall saw increased traffic and, and you know, that always hopefully um, transfers in, into, you know, uh, dollars for the various uh, companies in the mall. You know, it, this is kind of cool, you know, to, to interact. I mean, I, I, know I take my kids in the mall and they have those little mats on the ground. They've got the projector mm-hmm. and they kick the soccer balls. So anything that gets kids interacting usually will get parents interacting and and uh, you know it, it's good to for integrators to get involved in, in this type of thing. You know, I say you know go for it, all power. You know, to, it, you know it's it, but it's just finding those clients and, and getting uh, with the individuals to make these things happen. And sometimes it's it, it's you know not everybody's in the right place to 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 get involved with these things. So and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see you know. These types of things happen here in North America. I think they they happen a lot more, uh, you know, uh, overseas than they do here. Because I haven't really seen very many of of this type of application. You know, it's the first I've read about it. You know, and it's you know out of Europe. I haven't seen very many like this happen here, other than the, you know, kind of the you know as Gary said with the iPhones or or you know the Android. You know, or oh cool, look at this. I can follow a map. So, you know, this is definitely the way you know advertising is going to start going, you know, and it's going to be involving, you know, all walks of life. And uh, it, it's, it's a little, this would be cool. No. So yes, holodecks, those- they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm, I'm hopeful at least. So uh, you're listening sounds- to, go ahead. Oh, it sounds like it's one of those things that starts with one application and then, you know, especially where kids are involved, they're, they're going to come to expect it in other places. And, and that's just going to mean that, you know, more 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 companies are going to want to do it and going to have to do it. Like I said, it's it's going to make for uh, for for more opportunities for uh, for AV integrators to to have some uh, some work here. Yeah, I mean, this is great in like zoos, in museums, where you know 
uh, that you know you could have a museum. We're going to have a pirate exhibit. We're going to show take you inside the ship. You can have them you know walk around it and do you know. Essentially, now we're taking you know the Disney Imagineering out of Disney and we're putting it into smaller scale applications where you can interact with it a lot more. Well, you know, speaking of Disney, I, that, that's something. And uh, what was the last time I was, I was at Disney a year ago, Christmas? Um, I've never seen anything like this at Disney, and that surprises me actually. The fact that the technology is available and Disney doesn't have it. So. I don't you know. wonder if it's going to have any sort of application with, uh, rather than an actual Santa Claus at the mall, if you'll have a Santa Claus hologram or an Easter Easter Bunny hologram. Oh, now you're just, you're just being sacrilegious. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. I can't sit on a virtual And they'll all sound like Siri. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, goodness. You're listening to AV Week. Uh, with us this week is Gary Kay from Rave Pubs. He is the founder and chief pubber. Uh, Adrian Boyd is from Vector Sketch, and Craig McCormick uh, is my favorite Red Sox fan. He is from Commercial Integrator. Uh, we started something a few weeks ago. We're going to continue it. Uh, it is the AV Week Job of the Week, so if you are in need of a job, either you have one and you don't like it, or you're simply out of work, uh, stay tuned, because right, uh, right after that, we're going to be doing uh, talking about solar panels that you can paint on, a, the Android Remote Control Wars, and Monster Cables, my favorite cable in the entire world. It's time for the AV Week job of the week. This week we'll start across the pond with our good friend Pat Dealey from avjobs.co.uk. Hello, Pat. Hello, Tim. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, this week, what is your uh, what is your job for this week? Well, again, a lot of choice, but I've plumped for one up in Scotland for a project engineer, so someone with experience of um, engineering and installing audiovisual projects in both education, public sector and private sector, and um, obviously with good audiovisual experiences looking to manage projects, so it's the first step before a project manager, it's a project engineer, preferably based in Edinburgh or Glasgow or that way. Um, rather than up in the wilds of Scotland. Salary is up to 35000 um, plus there's a, a company car and some benefits. Um, if they'd like to apply for that, anyone liking to apply for that should contact David at avjobs.co.uk because um, my colleague David Gallagher is looking after this particular role. Okay. So it is a, a project engineer in either Edinburgh or Glasgow, Scotland. For that job, if you're interested in, in, in that one, uh, contact David at, at avjobs.co.uk. If that one doesn't fit your fancy, but you are an AV professional in either uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, or even uh, down through the Middle East, um, go ahead and give them a, a, a look if you would. Uh, the website again is avjobs.co.uk. Thank you very much, Pat. Thanks, Tim. Talk to you soon. Uh, with us again is Marty Raven from avjoblistings.com. Hello, How Marty. How you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing good. Everything's well here in New York City. Do me a favor. Give, give me a how you doing. How you doing? There we are. See, us guys in St. Louis, we don't have stuff like that. We just say, how are you? <laughs> are you having a nice day? We're very vanilla. So. We definitely have a different accent out here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I see. I don't even think you can call what we have an accent. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. I just I don't know. 
were very uh, one of my one of my old broadcasting teachers uh, when I first started in college said, "If you live in the Midwest, consider it fortunate because you have a very uh, vanilla, you know, accent. You don't sound like you're from the South. You don't sound right. like from the Northeast or from California." And the more people I talk to, I'm like, you know what? I'm freaking boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys, you guys over there have great accent, man. You have great accents as well. So you know, we, uh, I, you know, anything outside of New York City to me is an accent. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So, all right, you have a really cool job listing. We, 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 we yeah, about a month or so ago, we started talking to Pat uh, Dealey over across the pond. Great website. Uh, her website, though, is, is more for Europe and Middle East, but Marty's website is all about the, uh, the good old United States. And so, uh, so what, what job do you have for us this week, Marty? Uh, today I'd like to uh, highlight a job that's coming out of the uh, Research Triangle in Raleigh, uh, the, the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area. Uh, there's a company out there it's the, the, by the name of Audiovisual Concepts. They're great people. I've actually been there myself. Personally, I've met their uh, folks, and, and they have a great company culture. They're very, uh, very dedicated to the AV industry and what they're doing. They, they, they're very uh, diligent in the work that they perform. They, they, make, they make sure to do everything with a professional standard and a quality of work that, you know, that I think AV, the AV industry is, should be proud of this company, definitely. And today, uh, I want to highlight a job that they're, I'm sorry, a position they're looking to fill. Um, they're looking for an AV engineer out there. Uh, that area is ripe with work. Um, there's a lot of companies that are located in the, in the research triangle area, a lot of dot-com companies, a lot of uh, uh, Coca-Cola, for instance, is out there. Mm. There's a, a huge uh, 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 host of industries out there. Represented, and there because of that, there's a great need for video conferencing and for AV technology altogether. And they're looking for an AV engineer. Uh, they're looking for someone with um, at least five years of experience as a design engineer in the AV integration environment. Now, even though the the person they're looking for should have at least five years experience as a design engineer, they're looking for someone with hands-on practical. Um, experience as well. Someone whose hands have been in fabrication of racks and building uh, sites, on, you know, building the, uh, preparing sites, I'm sorry, terminations and uh, doing the calibrations of the, uh, the, the audio and the video equipment itself. Someone who's quite familiar with um, Crestron and AMX control systems. Uh, someone who understands how to uh, configure a codec, for instance, not just how to spec a codec, but can configure a codec. Uh, someone who can uh, can configure a, uh, a DSP also. So they're looking for someone who's been in the field and at the same time can sit down and, and, and calculate and formulate the design on paper of what their clients need. Uh, this person should have a CTS, at least a CTS certification, but preferably a CTSD. And if, if, not, if not, then they're asking that you, uh, that you do have the CTS within at least six months of um, employment with them. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, and of course, you know, the basic variables as well, uh, some sort of project management background, some, some CAD experience, uh, you know, uh, proven track record on, on providing turnkey solutions, uh, and an ability to, to work with all the teams within the company and especially, of course, with customers. Yeah. Um, so someone who understands how to, uh, to meet a customer, a high-end customer, have a good conversation with them, and yet make that customer feel as though 
they're with the right company and they're working with the right uh, vendor. Wow, that, this this is a very uh, very well rounded person. I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, right. If if this is if this is you uh, and you either want to or live in the uh, in the Raleigh Durham North Carolina area, how uh, how would they go about applying for this job? Well, what I like uh, to suggest is that you visit our website avjoblistings.com. That's www.avjoblistings.com, and uh, you can do a search by location for the area, for the uh, Cary, North Carolina area, and it should bring up for you the uh, the, the few listings in that area, and the, you'll notice that, they'll have the, that you'll see AV Engineer. When you click on the AV Engineer, at the bottom of the page is a how to apply area. You can apply online through the website, or you can, there's an email address there as well for the, uh, for the contact at, uh, at AFCON, and you can apply directly to that email address as well, whichever you should uh, choose. Okay. So the website is avjoblistings.com. This week's job of the week is a, an audiovisual, uh, an AV engineer, at least five years. If you have your CTS, wonderful. If you have your CTSD, even better. Marty, thank you very much. Uh, avjoblistings.com. So Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great day. We're back with AV Week. Uh, with us this week is Gary Kay from Rave Pubs, Craig McCormick from Commercial Integrator, and Adrian Boyd from Vector Sketch. Uh, Craig, you wrote an article about uh, doctors and tablets and how that's creating work for integrators. And uh, it was a it was an, a, a survey that CompTIA TIA did, where these doctors said that improving the use of, of mobile technologies and we'll, we'll throw you know tablets into mobile part was either a high or mid-level priority. Uh, you put in there that you kind of see this as, as a job possibility for AV guys. Uh, go ahead and, and, and kind of expound on that. How do you see this as, as, a, as a possibility? Well, uh, one of the interesting things is that a lot of the, the people in the survey were, uh, um, were solo practitioners, so they, you know, small, small doctor's offices, so they're just kind of getting into technology and the idea of how it can, can benefit them. That, actually was, was pretty evident in, in the idea of uh, security that, that a lot of them kind of didn't think about the ramifications of putting some patient information on, on their, their mobile devices and you know, the, the fact that they could be compromised by, by doing that if they didn't have the right security. So I, um, it, security integrators definitely will have uh, some, some opportunity to, uh, to benefit from that, but uh, I, I just think it's it's something that that more and more uh, more and more doctors and folks in healthcare industry are, are going to be uh, benefiting from. And another another point that uh, the survey made is that um, med med school students are using you know iPads and and other mobile devices for uh, for education. You know they're they're taking classes whether it's right on their iPad or using their iPad. You know to uh, while they're while they're in a class, it's it, you know it it's becoming more and more interactive. So that it, there's there's lots of lots of ways that uh, that that integrators can be, get involved. Uh, one one thing that was interesting is that telemedicine seemed to be a pretty pretty low priority for uh, folks right now. It's it's just not something that they're they're interested in. And so no VTCs. And, but, excuse me. So no so no video conferencing systems. No, not 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 too much. It's it's just. I, I think that's that's kind of a function of the the fact that the audience was like I said a lot, a lot of these small small time operations. 
Do you think um, that this, and, this is because of the aging of the medical industry? Like, you've got these younger guys now, like you said, that they, they're taking classes with iPads. They're graduating with their MDs, and it's just like with anything else in, in society. I mean, we, we've talked about this before, where our kids and, and our, our you know people, young people, the generation behind us, they're going to be used to this technology, so they expect to see it everywhere they go. Right. That, that's exactly the reason, actually, that I asked that exact question. So, um, I, they, um, they, they said that, that basically the, you know, that the younger people, they're, they're used to, used to working with, with technology and having it, you know, available to them at all times. So they, they're going to want to have it where they're working too. And, and so that, that's just going to create more, more opportunities. So Gary, so, it, it, is this an area uh, where, that is exclusively AV, or is this something we're going to have to battle the IT guys again, just like digital signage? Uh, it's going to be dominated by the IT guys. And the, because the reason why this is actually happening, which he mentioned in the article but didn't mention on here, is electronic medical records. That's the whole reason why what's driving this, is that there's a tax benefit for them to use, uh, to go to electronic medical records. And that's why doctor's offices are moving this direction is simply because they can get that tax benefit and actually buy it at a time where it won't cost them what they're actually paying for it. Uh, in fact, they can get the entire thing paid for it in some cases. Really? So, it, yeah. So it's going to be driven by the IT segment because they are the ones that hold the, the technology on the, on the electronic medical records connectivity points. Adrian, is this where having, and I don't know if I've ever asked this question before, would it make sense then for an AV company to bring on IT people and, and have their own IT department? Or would is it better served to partner with a strictly IT company that doesn't have an AV? So you guys are kind of symbiosis. Uh, I think it's, it's a great idea for any AV company to bring someone on who's got some IT background. I mean, it's... But not a whole department, maybe. It, it, I think it all depends on... on how you as a company look at what you're going to be doing going forward. You know, there's a lot of AV firms that have gone, you know, that have purchased communication companies or partnered with communication companies because they've seen it as a way to increase the revenue share. You know, uh, other companies will say, you know, we're going to find a guy with an RCDD or we're going to bring someone who's got a really good IT background on board to kind of help us with those, those infrastructure things. Because at the end of the day, it is about the, it, it's not about, you know, the tablet or, or the box, it's about the infrastructure and everything else kind of kind of goes into it. I mean, uh, I don't know when the last time I walked into a doctor's office and actually saw them hold the chart. It's yeah. all on a computer. And, and at least the ones here in the St. Louis area, um, you know, they have a, a monitor on a swing arm. You got a keyboard and a mouse. Yeah. And they've got an extremely small form factor computer that, you know, could potentially even be a, a cloud-based type of computer. And, you know, they're logging into a system that's got, your entire medical records, that thing, you know, they're saying they're, they're, they're doing uh, secure prescription sending. Uh, they're, they are able to do, you know, tracking you as a patient or, you know, looking at drug interactions. I mean, all these things, you know, is supposedly to make it better for you. And it's now just coming in, into play and it's actually starting to work. When a lot of this started to happen, in, you know, in 2000 and, you know, they were running around with big bulky, you know, uh, uh, Microsoft tablets and, and the systems didn't work and the infrastructure wasn't there and there were issues and there were problems. And and now everything's just starting to to um, to congeal. And when we talk about telemedicine, it I think it depends on where you are in, in the medical network. Uh, 
teaching teaching institutions um, are they're definitely uh, trying to leverage a lot of this uh, because uh, you know I, I've seen some uh, teaching establishments where they have five feeds into an operating theater at, at at a hospital they're partnered with. You know now they're teaching their class. You know we're doing this open heart surgery today. Uh, you know we have Doctor So and So and he's going to walk us through the procedure. You know so yeah. you know definitely. You know, AV companies getting involved in this, you know, and making it work uh, is definitely beneficial. But on the same side, medicine and AV is a different animal altogether. You know, uh, you can't slap on your, you know, that that cheapo display. You know, you have to look at products that go in an operating room. They have to meet certain specifications and guidelines. And uh, you really have to be on the ball to make sure it happens and, and to do it correctly. Well, not only for latency, but also for, for bacteria and, and stuff latency, like that. Latency, bacteria. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of stuff, you know. And and the more an AV company can get read on it, uh, read up and, and understand what makes it happen and and uh, and uh, be well-versed in HIPAA. Um, I hate you HIPAA. Know, it's, it, it's just another feather in the cap that makes them uh, a, a more advantageous company to work with. Um, and you know the same thing with consultants. Yeah. You know, the, the more you know, and the more you can bring to the table, uh, the more you can definitely uh, keep working. HIPAA is is a uh, I don't know. It has its benefits, but there are some problems with it. So, <laughs> um, we'll go on to another story before I get myself in trouble. Uh, this is from Lean Technica. It, this is cool to me just because it's it's green. And it's also some sci-fi. They they wrote the, an article about quantum dot solar cell improvements. I'm gonna make it really simple. This is paint on solar cells. Uh, who's gonna go out and buy the first gallon of this? Uh, Gary, you do a lot with with green AV. Is this is this the latest greatest thing, or is this um, kind of a pipe dream, and we should be more into you know actual solid backed stable stuff? I love all the new stuff. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be the one to paint this on my body. But, Not on but, your uh, body, but on your on like like the the, <laughs> the the east side of your house. You know, every morning your your house gets charged up. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if I'd want to get too close to that. Oh. <laughs> I mean, uh, the uh, you know, um, it, it, listen. The, the problem with solar panels is they just are hideously ugly, and uh, you know, I, I I don't understand why um, why companies that build um, um, tiles for your, for your roof of your house. Don't build solar um, technology into those because everybody has to have those on the top of their house. And there's lots it, of hasn't problems. Owens Corning developed that yet? They've got a, a they've developed a ceiling tile shingle with a solar panel built into it. Yeah, I mean it needs to happen as quickly as possible because I think that's the thing. And see, the thing is, is that you know conceptually, if you look forward 50 years from today, then all of us will be contributing to the power grid by all the energy we didn't that we were generating that we weren't using and giving back and we'd be trading energy and and uh and saving money that way and saving you know the environment and so on and so forth but got to start somewhere so hey let's give all the technologies a shot in my opinion well and here the thing what makes this interesting is it's based on on nanotechnology i mean these are nano cells that somebody has figured out a way to put them in the right kind of goop in where they 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 stay relatively uh, uniform, uh, separated, uniformly separated, so the, the electricity is passing through. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is this is fascinating, and I, I, you know, nanotechnology in general is is fascinating. So, yeah, something's going to come along, and and uh, and one of these technologies is going to be successful, especially if you get you know big money behind it. So. Yeah. 
And I, I think um, it, one of the big objections with, with solar panels always seems to be the, the price, and that, that seems to be a stumbling block for a lot of people. So it, I'd be interested to uh, see, you know, what, what it would cost to, to do this and, you know, put it on the roof of your house, like like you were saying, and or, you know, in in your shingles or something like that, however it may be applied. I, it doesn't mention in the article what the uh, the cost would be or anything like that. I'd be, I'd be kind of interested in that. Well, yeah, right now I don't know, but you know, I, I, it, it, to me, it sounds a little bit more feasible to run down and, and grab a gallon of this at, at Lowe's or Home Depot than do, than does to um, to throw twenty thousand dollars at throwing panels on your roof. So, yeah, and it's still in the research stage. I mean, there, we've, there's two oh, universities, research. one in Canada and what you know, and and one in Pennsylvania, you know, that are still, you know, it's 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 vaporware. It's cool vaporware, but it's still vaporware. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk about you know, it's not like vaporware, but uh, two different Android um, or not even Android Google Google TV Android remote controls. Uh, one is about the Logitech, and know, kind of basically, this is the new guy throwing the old guy under the bus. The new CEO of Logitech basically went on record as saying. Um, yeah, that whole little Google TV remote control cost us a hundred million dollars. Ow, the Craig, that hurts. No matter how much you shake it, I mean, I don't, I don't have a hundred million dollars, but if I did, I wouldn't want to lose it. Uh, is this, is this? And they even said, going to say that that this, the new guy says that you know what, we're done. Basically, we're done with Google TV. Cost us a hundred million bucks. We're out. Um, is this going to hurt Google TV? Because I, the way I'm seeing Google TV now, is, is it, it's it's actually getting stable and cool. Yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to hurt it. I don't I don't think that people who are interested in, in buying Google TV will be, uh, you know, have any concern about how how Logitech is doing and, and whether you know they're they're losing money at all. I, I think I think it's you know going to be con- consumer driven certainly. So, well, so like, I know I. I don't think it'll hurt it. It wasn't really the fact that they're losing money, but the fact that they're getting out of it. Is that going to hurt the the Google TV? I, no, I no, I don't believe so. Adrian, the, the, in addition to that, we also had a story about Motorola creating a a Google uh, an Android based TV controller. Uh, my initial thought is, well, duh, because Google's buying them. Uh, so, <laughs> so Logitech gets out, Motorola moves in. Is that kind of how it works? It, you know, it could very well be. I mean, when I saw Google TV, it was kind of like, "Oh, look, me too, me too." They're they're competing in a in a. You know, you've got Rukus, you've got Boxies, you've got Apple TVs, you've got you know a lot of streaming devices, and and Google TV was kind of going, "Well, we can do all of that and bring a Google search engine too." But that's valid. It, it is valid, but I kind of look at it as is is this is you know remember back when Microsoft did Web TV? Yes, I do. <laughs> kind of the same thing um you know it's it, it's neat i mean they were they're trying to leverage you know uh broadcasters and so on and certain types of content you know but it just it, it's just just quite quite hasn't synced yet uh you know it, i mean the only two people you know two companies that actually had anything as part of this was sony with it with a television mm-hmm. and then you know logitech came out with a box that was 300 dollars, and then they they decided that was way too high and it came out about 99 bucks you know, so and it was still too high because nobody bought them. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Bacon aside, it just, I, I just, you know, it, it just, I don't think it, it, they really, you know, it wasn't quite, you know, the, the prime time players, 
you know, to, to for the for the market right now, you know, especially when you got your hands on it and you played with it and you realized that it just was kind of a, it left you wanting more. Quite honestly, it just really, you know, left a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, it just didn't didn't work the way you, you know they had advertised it. But that's kind of how what Google <laughs> Google does. <laughs> I, I I'm not being hateful, but that's you know between Wave and the first couple Android phones. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have an Android phone now, and it's great and it's wonderful. But it's it's a far cry from the first Android phone that came out. I mean, that thing was horrendous. It didn't it didn't have many features. It, it ran slow. It, it it ate up battery life. Uh, is this something where the people who, like Gary said earlier, are just Apple haters and they don't want you know anything iOS that they're going to have to wait around for Google to kind of find themselves when it comes to TV? Could be. I mean, when we look at Google as a company, they have a lot of hits and they have a lot of misses. And, you know, they, they do some things really, really well, and then they just do some other things. It almost reminds me of, of you know, uh, Pixar's film uh, uh, Up, you know, where you've got the dogs go, ooh, squirrel. <laughs> you, know who they, you know who they remind me of? Craig, Craig will appreciate that. Remind me of Babe Ruth, because he was also the strikeout king. So nothing, hey, uh, nothing, Craig, nothing. Um, I'm... It's Red Sox off season, and there's oh, okay. so many things going on right now with them. It's hey, yes, sir. To talk about them. Uh, this is Gary. That here's the deal with this: uh, the only people that want to browse the the web on their television are old, ugly, fat people. <laughs> so the people, regular people, don't want to browse the internet on their on their television. People want. If you're going to bring an app to the TV that makes sense, like, for example, launching net, uh, Netflix so that you can stream movies so that you don't have to switch inputs on your TV, that's what's going to be uh, popular. The, the, like, for example, the feature missing in the app, the Apple TV is the perfect box for the simple um, or, or even the Roku box is perfect for the, the user that all they want to do is watch movies and television shows at their whim. Yeah. Uh, and But the, the feature that both those boxes are missing and the reason why they haven't gained giant acceptance rather than just decent acceptance is HDMI password. Yeah. And that's because people don't understand the concept of switching inputs. You add HDMI password, you will have a home run product. What? So Google TV, they need to you know, get rid of the keyboard, make it app-based, and have HDMI pass-through, and, and you've got a winner because then you can put whatever uh, is on that box that, that people really want to do, like watch TV or, or um, interact with people via Twitter so that they can you know, um, um, talk to each other uh, while, while live on a show or kind of, um, kind of not really talk to each other but more comment on but interact what people with are each saying. Other. Yeah, and interact with people. They're, they don't want to browse. No one wants to browse the Internet on their TV. You can do that on your phone. So what's yeah. the point? The, the funny thing that Gary mentions that is I, we, my wife and I were watching a television program the other night. And you know what we were doing? We are watching the show, and I'm on my iPad, and she's on her iPad, and we're doing her own thing. So we're not really watching the program. We're kind of hearing the program like radio. It's we're doing something else at the same time. I'm thinking a lot of people are, are doing that now. They're on their phone. They're on their, their, their device, and they're... They're surfing the web, or they're looking up something. You know, the show was house, and, and they said a medical term. Like, oh, what the heck is that? A medical but, but term. Keep in mind, a squirrel. Keep in mind, <laughs> exactly. But keep in mind that this is all stuff aimed to old people, because people people below the age of, of twenty five are primarily watching or being entertained 
by their portable devices, not by the magic enchanted box hanging on the wall. Yep. So this stuff only is going to attract old people. Google TV version 2, Apple TV's next version of the Apple TV, is not going to be something purchased by 20-somethings. It's going to be purchased by 40-somethings because we need something that we're looking for something that simplifies that process and does what we want because our eyes or whatever are too, it's too difficult for us to see or this is the way we were traditionally programmed to go to the room that has the enchanted box, sit down in front of it at 9, a, at 9 p.m. on Wednesday and watch it and watch that show. This, this is, you know, it, it, you have to, they have to rethink television. This is what Apple's been really good at. This is what Sony's been really good at historically. And this is what companies like Nintendo have been really good at historically. And that is hitting on sort of the future direction that people are going in, in their different environments like gaming. And as soon as Apple and Sony think about, okay, how is the new way to watch television shows or, or, or absorb content, they'll come up with a much better box. <laughs> Just for clarification, Gary, what exactly is an old person? Like, what, what age? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the fact of the matter is you sort of have a generational gap there. Between, you do. Say, uh, I mean, I think the, the world does. It has a generational gap between 30-something and below, and or 30-year-olds and below. Sorry. No, 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 no. 30-something no. is fine. 30-something is fine. Yeah. So I think I don't think 30-somethings are, are really absorbing content the way that 20-somethings are. It's different. They're, they're still... Email is still their primary form of communication, whereas a 20-something, email is not their primary form of communication. It's probably their third choice. Um, it's instant message and then maybe direct messaging or at mentioning on, on uh, Twitter or, or Facebook. And, and e- email is third. But in the case of 30-something or 40-something, email is first. In the case of 50 and 60-something, phone is first. Email might be second. So it's, it's, there's generational gaps there. And, and I think, so, like I said, so, companies like Sony and and Apple have historically gotten that. Heck, Google hasn't even realized, well, they've realized it now, but, but they, ha- they aren't even addressing their biggest problem, which is that you know, 53% of searches aren't being done on, on devices that, uh, internet searches aren't being done on devices that access Google. They're being done yeah. on devices like why you're inside Facebook, or even Siri's had an impact recently. Even the president of Google said that's had an impact in just a short period of time in their search. And people are searching within apps themselves. So I think that there's much bigger issues that they have than worrying about Google TV. Yeah, and, until they, they figure out you know, how, to, how to capitalize on that. Real quick, you, you guys had something that I wanted to get to, and I'll, I'll go to it because you mentioned the HDMI, HDMI pass-through. And that's the, the HD video conferencing for 200 bucks. Um, yeah. Biscotti, the, the company, is, this to me is genius. This is... The you know the the best buying I guess of of video conferencing because you you have a device it's two hundred bucks you throw it on your TV it has HDMI pass through and so you're watching TV somebody calls you you can either obviously answer it or or ignore it but this reminds me of of one of my one of my dear friends he'd been friends for years and years and years I remember. Um, one of the first times I came went over to his house, his dad has always been a, a technophile. And this is in 86, 87. He has a big screen TV, you know, as big screen as, as it was back then, one of the old consoles. And had his telephone ran through the television somehow to where when someone called them, they had caller ID pop up on their TV. And he could either answer it or obviously ignore it. This reminds me of that. Where you're just yeah. sitting back and you're doing the whole lean back thing, and somebody calls you and says, you know, you, you can do instant video mess or instant video conferencing right there. 
Right. And this technology has been around for four or five years, technically, but they've hit the nail on the head by, by having HDMI pass through. And it's good that they waited until HDMI worked out all their bugs and what they were going to allow and not allow with the different versions. So now that they have the current version will allow everything. It's very, it's very um, specific on what you need to pass and what you don't need to pass. And it's downwardly compatible. But, you know, as soon as they add Skype to this, this will be a holy grail home run or they add uh, Apple iChat or any of these other standards-based uh, systems or non-standards-based systems. So then, you know, right now they, they've got Google Mail or, you know, Google Video, and then they've got their own st- system. So it's going to be, it's gonna be um, successful because, you know, the majority of people who are interested in this are on, have Gmail accounts already. Um, but uh, you you add Skype to it, it'll be a, it'll be a home run. Yeah, you add Skype to this, and, and yeah, you're right because that that that's not the standard, but it, it's it's almost it's almost a de, a, de, a default uh, if you well, do any kind of the, yeah. By adding the word Skype there, then you explain what the product does because there's yeah. still there's still a generational gap between the term video conferencing where people that are over the age of forty don't exactly know what that means. Well, that's not really true because you know if you watched Oprah, you knew what Skype was. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. You have to work Skype, and all of a sudden, everybody understands what it is. Yeah, so it's not, right, right now they can't use the word Skype because it's not Skype compatible. Oh, okay. but, it, but it will be. I mean, because it's moving more towards UC based standards based conferencing system because Microsoft. So. Uh, a few weeks ago, I took issue with a, a press release on a website, and um, I'm going to be somewhat conceited here. This is how you handle a press release. A paper in front of me. Extron from Anaheim, California. A new concept in mounting hardware for application utilizing one half rack width and smaller products is available. This, to me, is genius for the education market. And this is the part where I say this is how you handle a press release. This is is a cool product. And I, I, I say for the education, and I don't see this happening in boardrooms necessarily, but for anybody who's ever tried to fit... You know, an IN fifteen oh eight or something else into a podium. This is awesome. IN fifteen oh eight is probably the wrong one because that one's a full rack width. But some other, some other um, Xtron or anybody else product where it's it's a half rack and, and you've got a small podium where the professor walks up with his book or his tablet or whatever and plops it down and does his lecture from there. But you still need to get the audio and you still need to get some kind of video back to the actual main rack. This is awesome. Um, Craig, do you see this being something where consultants or contractors spec this for not just education, but for other applications? Yeah, like, uh, education, definitely. You're, you're right on the money with that. I, I think it would definitely work there and, and other applications where, you know, um, there, there are podiums and things like that involved. Um, I, um, I can, I can definitely see this, this having a, a lot of potential and, and, you know, finding, finding a lot of ways to use it. All right. Uh, Gary, do you see this as is not just, you know, not just for Extron products, but for other guys as well, because not everybody makes their stuff in a full rack width. Yeah, I mean, it sounds stupid to be talking about a product like this, but in fact, um, what Extron's done with something simple like this is keep you in the Extron ecosystem. And, um, and, and so therefore there are people that will buy things just for the simplicity's sake and the, and the, the fact that everything fits well together. And this was a piece that was missing and, and just keeps you in that ecosystem. So, well, not just I that mean, it, there, there was, there was times where, you know, I, I've had done jobs for, for guys where they've had to fabricate, you know, yeah. inside and this, this eliminates that part. 
yeah, I mean, they they clearly listened to their customers and and uh, and and came out with that based on on feedback and, and saying, you know, you know what? Since see all these people are asking about, it, let's just let's just do it. So, um, you know, it's it's like I said, it sounds stupid to be talking about something like that, but it is going to have an impact because of the again, we come back to the word simple. Uh, real quickly, two things real quick, just, just so we can uh, mourn the passing of CRTs. <laughs> it's not that, it's not that I, think, I, don't, I don't think anybody makes them anymore. But Peerless stopped selling, or is going to stop, I'm sorry. They're going to stop selling uh, their mounts for CRTs by the year, end of this year. Uh, is anybody surprised or saddened more than me? No. <laughs> Come on, I like my CRTs. I, I I still got a nice CRT in in, in the basement, uh, but you know the the can't find them. It's hard to find them anymore. And you can't and find them anymore. No, it's not hard. You can't find them. Well, there's a still used. there's still a couple uh, companies that make these these small form factor, you know, thirteen inch type of things. I don't want a thirteen inch TV. Uh, yeah, but you know, the large scale, you're really not fine. I mean, when my five year old sh- doesn't want a thirteen inch for crying out loud. You know, when Sony shut their plant down, you know, a few years back, I mean, it, everyone kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, you know, there's it, what's kind of funny is is there's a huge market. It's kind of a niche market uh, for CRT projectors. Uh, relamping them, uh, building new power supplies. I mean, you you just type in CRT, and there's tons of little DIY companies making them, and doing all sorts of stuff with that. So you know, CRT is still has some legs in in the in the projection world, but it's really niche. But you and know, really expensive. I'm I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I've you think some. of a barcode that was sold 10, 12 years ago. You're looking at twenty twenty five thousand dollars. For a probably three cannon, work. yeah, probably more. Well, I'm talking. You, you're talking about the cost of of what was it four or five years ago? I, I priced out replacing a Barco uh, three cannon, and it was going to cost six or seven thousand dollars per cannon. Yeah. So my math's not the greatest in the world, but you're looking at about fifteen, eighteen grand to recondition this thing when I can buy an Epson for five grand that yeah, has I mean- three times as many lumens. You know, and and you know, there, there's what's kind of funny is is you know when we're talking about the DIY, there, a lot of these guys are trying to figure out how to get HDMI into these things to, to their life. <laughs> so they're building, they're custom building oh, boards for these things. You know, they're buying chips, they're making stuff, and and so you know, these are just Frankenstein's then. Uh, some of them are, but I mean, there, there's a lot of companies that you know they still have a, a you know a good uh, inventory of tubes for projectors, and they're they're you know they're holding onto them like light bulbs. <laughs> All right, from uh, Jason Knott, Craig, your buddy Jason Knott wrote this. After 32 years, Monster Cable Products Incorporated has officially changed its name to Monster and shortly thereafter filed suit against the Cookie Monster and (laughs) Monster.com. Yes. I hate Monster Cables. I'm sorry. Uh, Craig, is this this a big deal or is this just, you know, some Yahoo, you know, high-end cable company? changing their name I, I would say it's probably probably the latter although i'm not sure i would describe it quite that way um i i, I don't think it's a big deal at all I, I i think probably most people that uh who worked with them most most of their customers probably called them monster anyway and didn't realize their full name was monster cable product anyway um i i, I don't really think it's going to change anything that uh, it sounds like the purpose of it it was to you know, kind of make people aware that they sell more than cable products, and uh, you know, um, you know, kind of expand their customer base. But I, I don't think it's going to change a whole heck of a lot, to be honest. 
Gary, this is my perception, and it could I could be wrong. I, I don't get the perception that Monster is a pro AV cable guys. I mean, yeah, Jason wrote this in, in, in CE Pro, so you know it, it's more of a, a of a resi kind of story. But I, I don't know every every person I've ever talked to about Monster cables. From the and I, I say the fact that they that they filed suit against Cookie Monster and Monster dot com tongue in cheek, but they have a history of just pissing people off by, you know, suing them because they're using the word monster, and then their cables are are in my opinion, outrageously expensive. So is is does anybody in the industry really use them, or am I you know, am I just jaded? Well, you know what, one thing you got to give them credit for is that. They are a marketing company, not a manufacturer. They have, they have marketed themselves into a position where you assume uh, high quality with them. And, you know, I, I have to give them kudos. I mean, they, they um, you know, they are a good example of sort of marketing 101 on how to market your, your brand because people will go in and instead of buying the $11, literally, instead of buying the $11 six-foot HDMI cable, that is branded by um, Best Buy, um, or even the thirty-dollar gold version of the Best Buy cable. They'll they'll buy the Monster one for sixty dollars because it has the Monster brand next to it. So they they it's it's better branding through marketing. And um, and hey, if, if they can do it, you know, more power to them. I have nothing against. If you can charge oh, yeah. whatever you yeah. want to charge, you should be able to charge whatever you want to charge, regardless of the quality. Because the best product isn't always the market leading product, but. Um, it's sometimes it's you know the better marketing. I mean, Bose sells a hell of a lot of of uh, audio systems to people because they have a much better marketing um, position than most other manufacturers of the same type of stuff. Agreed. Agreed. So I mean, that's why I look at it as I see them as you know they I, I got I have to give them credit for being a marketing company. I mean, uh, they are not a manufacturer and they're not creative in their manufacturing. They're very good at marketing their products and branding them such that you assume there's quality related to them. Um, car manufacturers do it all the time. I yeah. mean, people pay more money for cars just because of their brand. So. Yeah, and there's there's a number of Monsters products that, you know, they don't make them. Then somebody else makes them, and they just slap their name on it. You know, there's a lot. We have a lot of manufacturers that do that. So, oh, yeah. you know, it, they do our marketing. I mean, if you've ever sat down uh, with, with, the, with the owner of Monster and, and listened to one of his seminars, it, it is a, you know, it's, it's marketing, marketing, marketing. You know, and and they're really good at what they do. I'll give them that. Never thought of it that way. All right. Uh, this has been AV Week. Uh, Adrian Boyd, he is from Vector Sketch. Thank you much, sir. Thank you. Uh, your your Twitter is that what we want to promote here? The underscore AV underscore CAD underscore guy. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes. Awesome. Uh, he's from Vector Sketch. Check him out. He uh, He does basically explain it to people again. Uh, what we do is we work with integrators, consultants, architects, and we do AV design, engineering, and AutoCAD documentation. So the pretty pictures you need to build a system, that's what we do, and we draw them, and we help make all of that happen. Excellent. Also with us has been Craig McCormick. Craig is uh, from Commercial Integrators. Uh, uh, Craig, yours is Craig McCormick, correct? That's it. At Craig McCormick, or just check him out on Commercial Integrators website. And also, the ever-lovely and venerable Gary <laughs> K. Man, i, I got to pay you next time. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs>
Um, I, I, I've said this more than once, but I, eventually I'm going to have to start paying you for as many rave pubs I've, guys I've had on here. But uh, if you don't know about them, the, go to the website, ravepubs.com, or follow them on Twitter, at uh, ravepubs. Thank you much, so much, sir. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I had a great time. I appreciate being on here. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, if you would like to follow me, mine is TD Tim David Albright A L B R I G H T. But more importantly, please go to the website. Website is avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. We have a couple surveys up there for you to uh, tell us what you think, tell us what to do, tell us how to make this thing better for you. Uh, but a- after that, there's also um, all kinds of different uh, podcasts, both the past ones. And in the next couple of weeks, uh, we have a couple of, of side projects working. So uh, go to the website and check it out, avnation.tv. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Oh, my God.